In fact, actually what Lucinda said, which she might kill me for saying, is she said, John, I've been out on the circuit riding all over the world, and I can tell you there's people who ride way worse than you that make a living doing it, so you'll be fine. Welcome to the Major League Eventing Podcast, the show for eventing fans by eventing fans. And as usual, Karen, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Cowboy Magic, for, for sponsoring the show. So what do we have this week? This week, we have Cowboy Magic Super Body Shine. Oh, yeah. It's formulated to give hair a super shine, helps repel show ring dust, and dries fast. And they added aloe vera to strengthen and condition hair and skin. Yeah, that's awesome stuff. Fantastic very, very stuff. Very important. Aloe vera. It's like... It's good stuff. The wonder plant. Yes. You know what is. I mean? Yeah. So, love this stuff. I even drink this stuff. A little funky, but do you? Yeah, mm. it's good mm. stuff inside and out. Karen, <laughs> and I rub it all over my face because I get sunburned so easy. But that's another story. <laughs> the face Karen makes, <laughs> I'm gonna stay on track. <laughs> so, thank you, Cowboy Magic. The Cowboy Magic Super Body Shine, get your shine on, get out there, shine them up, and then it helps repel that dust. So, when you're going around the ring, your horse. Is the one to still stay shining while everyone else is getting all dusty and covered up. So, right, Karen? Oh, yeah. So, thanks a lot, Cowboy Magic. Introducing Ultimate Recovery, a new equine nutritional supplement from Buckeye Nutrition. We train our horses to improve performance, build strength and skills, and to prevent injury. But just as important as practicing is recovery. The three main keys to recovery are proper hydration, high-quality protein, and replenishment of glycogen in the muscles. In addition, the stress of travel can affect gut health. With this in mind, Buckeye Nutrition has scientifically developed a brand new equine supplement designed specifically to support exercise recovery. With built-in electrolytes, branched-chain amino acids, controlled carbohydrates, and both pre- and probiotics, our equine nutritionists have formulated Ultimate Recovery to support recovery from exercise for the school horse to the racehorse. Help your horse be ready to perform with Ultimate Recovery. And check out BuckeyeNutrition.com for more information or to contact one of our expert equine nutritionists. Redding Goat is not just for winter anymore. The Redding Goat rain gear is here. Order yours today by clicking the link in the show notes or go to RedingGoatEquestrian.com. Taylor Harris Insurance Services. There for all equestrians, amateur and the professional. For all types and all breeds. No matter what discipline or level, Taylor Harris is committed to excellence in serving you and protecting the horses you love. Taylor Harris Insurance Services. Your worldwide equine insurance specialists. I'm Karen. And I'm Rob. Karen, super excited for today's Major oh, yeah. League podcast. Karen, we had on his co-host last week mm -hmm. for the John and Rick show. Welcome to the show. My favorite host of the John and Rick show, Karen. Uh -oh. Yeah. John Holling, welcome, <laughs> welcome to the show. I, I haven't heard Rick quite yet, but I have a feeling you probably said the same to 
That's a, that's a pretty good possibility. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, all right. I get it. Uh, for everyone listening at home, we are re- we are recording this the night before Rick's episode yes. comes out. So um, John is coming in blind on this, but we just got to tell you, buddy, your partner knocked it out yeah, of the park. Yeah, he did. He did good. Home well, that's, that's why he's my partner on the show. He's pretty good. <laughs> uh, let's see. So we'll, we'll find out at the end of this. So I really was thinking about this during this week. We have to make it where we got to make it a competition. So we got to see like whose episode gets more downloads. Because as a group, you guys are together. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a great idea. Is it going to be me or is it going to be Rick? Yeah, I'm counting on everybody. I'm counting on everybody to to vote for me and get more downloads or likes or however we decide to do this. I'll leave it up to you guys. So, but I will say this: John is not nearly as um, needy. Rick demanded a five second countdown oh, with the that's fingers. Right. Of course he did. Of course he did. He's always got to have a countdown. He kills me. And then he gets to where he has to give me a countdown. To, and I'm like, I, I don't think I need, and then I get freaked out. I'm like, well, maybe I do need a countdown, but I was super impressed. Neither of you guys needed a countdown. So well done. No, no. We did mess up, but we did, we did blow it. But now, now you don't know this, but in, in the interview, before the interview, he joked around about the need to countdown, and mm-hmm. we talked about. And so I put yep. it, I put it in the show at the very beginning. You can hear our conversation where he's, he's basically busting chops about needing the countdown. So yep. I put it in anyway because I just thought it was too good to not not share with. <laughs> it him. is good. He does it every time. It's kind of become his little shtick now on our show yeah. as well. That he, he has <laughs> to have his how, countdown. How he wants to, uh, he 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 really tries to throw you off with your notes. So yeah, yeah. No, I, you know, I'm glad to hear that because. I sometimes feel like he does it on purpose just to mess with me. I mean, here we are, we're partners, we're doing this thing together and he's, he's trying to make me look bad. I knew it. And now you've confirmed my suspicions. You have I'm going to have to call him after this. You'll have to listen. Uh, in just a few short hours, this will be out and Rick's will be out and you'll be able to hear all about it. So hopefully uh, we really enjoyed it. It we was good. It was yeah. Fun, so. It was a lot of fun. Um, so we're, we're, I'm quite sure you're going to be just as fun. It's already off to a good start. Yes, it no, is. no hard demands. No, nothing no, like that. Not so at all. He demanded like only, only <laughs> like yellow M and M's, uh, like all types right? of crazy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Which was funny because he, then he'd have to get his own yellow M and M's. because he's not here. <laughs> right. Right. So, hey, so John, where where are you coming to us from? You're you're on Zoom with us. We're not in the same room, unfortunately. But wh- where are you coming to us from? I am sitting here in my family room in Ocala, Florida, where I've lived for, gosh, I guess 20 years now. Um, yeah, just hanging out in Ocala, Florida, sweating a lot um, during the day and uh, just basically living the dream. Yeah. Ocala sounds nice. It it fall, is, it has, nice. fall has started to hit here today. It was, yeah, it was a little it breezy. Is. Today we had the windows open in the house. Some of the degrees. trees are turning colors. Yeah, so... Yeah, I saw a few of my friends on uh, Facebook were complaining they were having to pull out their medium weight rugs for their yep. horses. Mm-hmm. I saw that as and well. I have to admit, like I do love Florida and I love Ocala, um, but I was pretty envious as I was hacking around on my horse, sweating profusely, <laughs> and my friends up north are getting upset because they have to pull out blankets. I was like, yeah, you know, that sounds all right. I know once winter hits in Florida and we have to do the blankets all the time. And it's a real problem down here. Not a problem. It's a little bit more difficult down here because it'll be 
70, 80 degrees during the day and then drop down to 40 at night. So there's a lot of putting on and taking off the blanket. So by the end of the season, you're like just waiting for 94 degrees and 80% humidity because you don't want to do blankets. But right now in the middle of summer or the end of summer, bring on the blankets. (laughs) Karen and I, we were, we don't go to Ocala often, but the last time we were there, it was probably the only time we've really been to Ocala. Well, the two, together. Together. Yeah. Yeah, together, right? You've yeah. been there trying some horses. But we um, we were there for the eventing 18 training with Leslie Law. And we were staying at yep. Caroline Martins next to Horsepower Equestrian. And um, it happened to be the one week that it froze overnight. So everyone's pipes were frozen and the wells were frozen. That was a... It was cold. One, <laughs> we went to Florida with no jackets or anything in here. It was freezing. Well, the thing is... We're completely unprepared for it down here. Like they will, it's crazy. Like, so I grew up in Wisconsin, so I know, I know cold weather and down here, every, all the pipes, first of all, they're PVC plastic pipes and they're buried. I mean, honestly, six inches under the ground. (laughs) Yeah. Like we have to turn the tap on in the sink, in the barn. Like, so it's just like little like pencil with water running on cold nights so that the pipes don't freeze. I mean, crazy. and then in Wisconsin, it can be like negative 50 and you're good. I just don't understand. <laughs> not prepared. Not prepared. No. Yeah. So, and I got to ask you one more question before I forget, before we get to the mm-hmm. formal questions. Okay. I heard a rumor about your water jump. Yes. You have to go hunting. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So no, that's, that's not a rumor. That's the truth. So we have, we're really fortunate. We actually have two water jumps here now um, because the first one that my friend uh, Jay Hambly built for me 20 years ago when we bought this farm, I decided, like I pre-selected the location before he got here because he's my friend. So I just was as cheap as I could be with him. And I flew him in for the, he told me how long it would take to build. And I think I flew him in for about half the length of time. (laughs) So I, and then worked him, you know, 15 hours a day and paid him for eight. Um, but we built it in the lowest spot on the property. And so it floods over a lot and it's kind of swampy. And so I actually last year built another one um, in a better spot, but that original water jump now it's a beautiful spot, but you can never drain it because it's where you would drain your water jump to lesson learned, right? (laughs) Apparently 23 year old John was not very smart. So um, we do get snakes down there. We get water moccasins and I've learned over the years now, which I will admit I wasn't good about in the beginning to appreciate like good snakes and bad snakes. Um, and I've learned in the last couple of years, there's like imitation water moccasins or cotton mouths that aren't actually killers. So I try to be good about knowing which ones to get, but I'm not going to lie. We do, um, have a little pistol that shoots, some um, snake shot out of it. It shoots four or 10 shotgun shells out of this pistol. <laughs> I have. Uh, and so I feel a little bit like Dirty Harry going down there. Um, and I, I haven't actually seen any this year. So I'm thinking that my extermination techniques from last year, I might have gotten the whole family, I'm hoping. Wow. I've uh, never heard of snake shot. I've never heard of that. That's uh... Well, so what it is, it's this really cool gun, right? So my dad um, was a big gun guy. And when he passed away, he had all these guns. And I found this one gun that it's called the judge. It's made by a company called Taurus, I think in Miami. And I know this isn't horse stuff. I'm sorry, but it's, I love this. So, um, it's this little revolver and it shoots, um, you can shoot. Oh gosh, I should even, I I'm embarrassed now. I can't remember what bullet it shoots. I think it's a 
well, whatever. It doesn't matter, does it? Because nobody here is going to really care. But it also <laughs> shoots 410, 410 shotgun shells. And it's, this, it's like a hand cannon. Um, and it's got a little red laser pointer. And you can go down. It's really good for shooting snakes. I'm not a very good shot, so I need a shotgun. <laughs> uh, that's uh, I had I had to find out after sure. So I don't know how I heard that. I think Joey told us our, yeah. our younger son. Somehow he, he did, yeah. caught wind of that and thought it was cool. And- yeah, yeah. I think um, you know, there's the snake lovers out there will be upset to hear about it. But you know, in all reality, it's really bad for business when people want to come school you across country. And there's a water moccasin swimming in the yeah, water jump. It doesn't, yeah, yeah. It doesn't go over well. No, yeah, no. $100,000 horse trotting through. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've definitely, I've definitely jumped jumps in my water jump and been like, I'm supposed to be looking up, but there's a snake under my horse's feet. <laughs> oh, God. As I'm getting ready to land and it's scurrying away under the water. And I'm oh, like, oh, oh, I got it. Oh. So I jump off the horse, run up to the house, grab the pistol, run back down there. And then usually it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> <I get there. laughs> <laughs> it's go time. It's time to go. Hunting. Yeah. <laughs> totally. That's awesome. Oh god. <laughs> yeah. That's so, so you know, you can take the redneck out of Wisconsin, but uh you can't oh. take the Wisconsin out of the redneck. Those cheese I'm, I'm still yeah. cheese lovers, so you got to watch out for yeah. it. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, so speaking of Wisconsin growing up there, can you take us back and tell us how you got your start in riding and then into eventing? Yeah, so um it's kind of it's kind of a fun story. I've told it before, you know once or twice before, um, but I think it's kind of fun. So I grew up in a little town thirty minutes north of Milwaukee called Mequon, and um, that is actually Native American for land of many building codes. And so <laughs> it was a it was a really nice little suburb outside of Milwaukee, and right down the road from me was actually a, a barn, a farm called Apple Ridge Stables. And Apple Ridge Stables was owned by the Patton family, which was actually BZ Madden's parents' stable. Oh, wow. Which, when I was a kid, honestly, I didn't know what that meant, but they were the place to go. So I went there and I rode and I did hunters and jumpers there. And I was an awkward uncomfortable in my own skin, 12 year old boy who rode in a pair of hiking boots and jeans and like full leather chaps in these very good hunter lessons on my Arab quarter horse Morgan cross. And all of the little hunter girls in their pigtails would laugh at me and just do all of the horrible things that 13 year old girls do. And so I would try to switch from you know, Thursday at three to Friday at two so that they didn't know where I was. So I could just ride my horse and leave. Um, and I'd usually get like one or two weeks of peace jumping my horse. And then the girls would switch into my lesson and they'd have a great time torturing me. And looking back on it, it was obviously because they were having fun and I was the only boy that was there and, you know, they were enjoying torturing me and I'd like to think maybe they had a crush on me, <laughs> but, but they didn't. Cause I was really an awkward kid. So, um, <laughs> Eventually, I just thought, you know what, like the hunter jumper thing just isn't for me. I got to find something else to do. I like the horses. And so I ended up moving across town to a place called Pigeon Creek Farm, where there was a woman named Ann Jennings. And she did jumpers, but she also evented. And I went to one event. Um, We actually bought a horse through her. We went to one event. She rode it for me, and I was hooked. I thought, this is the coolest thing ever. Um, And 
it sort of went from there. You know, I, I always liked to compete. I love sports. Um, you know, we were talking football before we got on here and I like hockey and all of that. But the problem is I was the shortest, skinniest, slowest, most uncoordinated kid in school growing up and horses were the one thing I was good at. So eventually I realized that baseball and football and basketball and all of sort of the traditional sports weren't probably going to be for me, but I was pretty good at this horse thing. Um, so I kind of stuck with that and you know, it went from there. That's awesome, man. So, so you started riding kind of, kind of, I think you said like 13, is that when you started basically? Well, no, that's when I started like riding like with help gotcha. before that. I, I think I sat on my first horse when I was, um, probably about four. That's what I've been told anyway. Wow. My mom rode, my sister rode, we had, you know, a little 40, not a little, we had a 40 acre piece of property on the outskirts of town with, um, a little barn and a few horses. And so we'd go trail riding on the weekends. And I distinctly remember I had a pony and my mom would put a lunge line on the end of the, uh, like attach it to the bridle of my pony. And then I would go for the trail ride. Inevitably I'd fall asleep. Um, she would just sort of hold the the lunge line from her quarter horse, wrap it around the horn of her saddle and just lead me around the neighborhood. And I would, I remember being like awake, we'd ride and then I would wake up and I'd be home (laughs) (laughs) and got tugged along for the ride. Uh, So we did that a lot. That was probably our weekend thing. Um, and yeah. And so then, like I said, I grew up and, and then kind of went into the, the more organized lessons and things like that when I was about 12 or 13 years old. Gotcha. Now, did you do like the working student route or how did, how did you go? Like, as you became like, I got out of school, did you go to college or what was the next steps? Yeah. So, so I, um, graduated from high school in 95 and I enrolled at the university of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. So I was a Panther and, um, I didn't want to go. I had zero interest in going. Um, I knew that horses were what I wanted to do. I thought at that point that I wanted to ride, but I honestly wasn't sure if I was good enough. And in the summer between my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college, I went to ride in a clinic with Lucinda Green at a really nice farm out near Madison, Wisconsin, that was owned by a man named Malcolm Stack. And I rode with Lucinda and she asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, well, I want to do something with horses. And I kind of think maybe being a farrier is a thing to do because I'd done that a bit in high school for a farrier friend of ours who lived near us, who actually was very good, a man named Red Wrenchin. And um, sometimes I think maybe that would have been the better choice. <laughs> um, it was a great job. Um, but she And I said, so I think maybe I'll be a farrier, but I really would like to ride, but I don't know if I'm good enough. And she said, well, you know, I, I think you probably are. Um, in fact, actually what Lucinda said, which she might kill me for saying is she said, John, I've been out on the circuit riding all over the world. And I can tell you, there's people who ride way worse than you that make a living doing it. So you'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) So she, um, made a few phone calls. Um, she got me in touch with Jimmy Wofford, Mike Plum, David O'Connor and Peter Gray. So I called all the guys, um, and talked to all of them. Um, I remember actually, I spoke to all of them, but the one guy I couldn't get a hold of was Mike Plum. And I was riding and I knew he was supposed to call me back sometime soon. So I told the girl who was working for me in the barn, um, I said, you know, if, if a guy named Mike Plum calls, 
please come get me because typically if I was riding, um, she, I say she worked for me, she worked for my parents. Um, typically they wouldn't come out and get me cause they don't want to Right? I was out riding. I said, but if you could just please come get me if Mike Plum calls. Um, and so I came back in after riding a couple of horses. She said, Oh yeah, by the way, Mike Plum called you like oh, two hours ago. I forgot oh, to tell you. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> so I called him back and he was very nice. Um, but in the end I did settle on working for Peter Gray and Paul Delbrook. So, um, but rewind a little bit before I made that decision, I did have to go to university. Right. So I went, um, the first day of school drove down to Milwaukee to get into class. Um, I walked into my first class, sat down, they did, um, roll call and my name didn't come up. And so the professor said, you know, if your name hasn't been called, come to the front and we'll figure out what's going on. So I went to the front, I had in my paperwork and he said, well, actually you're supposed to be in the 7.30 PM class on the South side campus, which is the exact opposite side of town I was on. Um, but don't worry, just go to your, um, guidance counselor. They'll get you sorted out. So said, okay, no problem. I grabbed my papers in my backpack and I walked outside and I, I distinctly remember I sat on the steps of the school, the university, and I looked out at the street and my truck was parked there. And I thought, this is a sign from God. I am not supposed to be here. Um, I'm just, I'm going to drop out. So before I ever really even was in one of my classes, I dropped out of school. So do not try this at home. Um, <laughs> And I drove home and I told my mom that I wasn't going and she cried and called my dad and my dad was mad. It was probably one of two or three times that my dad ever yelled at me in my entire life. He was a really calm, quiet, incredibly kind man, um, but he was not thrilled. Um, and so then that's when he said to me, well, actually originally he said, I'm never paying for anything for you again. You are going to go and do your own thing and you're on your own. And he was a real stickler. Cause like I said, he was a really kind, nice guy. And that lasted seven days. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and after a week he said, fine, obviously this is what you want to do. We've talked about it and you can, um, you know, we'll help support you with this, but not running it from our, our stable. If you're going to do this, you're going away and you're going to do it right. And is this, a, this is a trade. Um, so you're going to learn the trade. So you decide where you're going to go. So that's when I called around to all these guys. Um, and Peter graciously said that I could come. I don't know if he regrets that at this point, <laughs> but I ended up working for Peter and Paul, um, sort of as a working student for about a year and a half. I rode with them, um, for another year and a half or two after that. Um, and really my entire program is based on their program. Um, and you know, I just, I learned so much from them. I went from having ridden around one preliminary horse trial badly to Rolex Kentucky four star now, because that's when they still had the three star within two years. So it was a pretty, pretty remarkable, um, experience for me to get to do that. Obviously I had a ton of help. Um, you know, Peter was, amazing. Paul was amazing. My parents did help me. They relented on their threat. Um, and they took some of my college money and bought me a really nice horse named Prairie Schooner, um, who I got to take to Kentucky and, and got that done. So, um, it was, it was a ton of fun. And then after a few years, we sort of went back to Wisconsin for a bit and, um, started our own business. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. Wow. And what, what, how did you land down in Florida? What, like in the current, where, where you're at now? 
Um, so, well, the first time I came to Florida was actually when I worked for Peter um, and, and Paul. They come down here every winter. And so that's how I sort of got to know the area. And um, that's where I met my wife, actually. Jen was working for Peter and Paul. We laugh about that. We break all of the um, statistics because Jen and I have been married for 20 years, but we've been dating for 24 and living together for 25. So figure that out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but when when we lived in this house on the farm, it was one of those deals where Peter and Paul, they rented this farm with a big house. It had lots of rooms. They rented out the rooms. So I had a room. Jen lived in the family room that had an Afghan blanket over the opening. That was her doorway. Oh. Um, <laughs> and there were, I think, four other people who lived in the house with us. And um, so that's how we sort of started coming to Florida. And then, like I said, after we worked for Peter and Paul um, for a few years, I started my own business, which made sense to go back to my sort of my roots to my hometown in Mequon. Um, And we did that for a few years. We'd go back and forth. And then when we got married in 2000, Jen's parents decided they wanted to retire to Florida. And so Jen and I were looking to buy a farm. We actually had plans for a barn with an apartment and everything all picked out um, and had a 10 acre piece of property on the other side of town. And then her parents decided they wanted a place. And, you know, I think it's, it's always such a great story about how people started with nothing and they fought and scraped and clawed and got it done on their own. And um, sometimes I think, gosh, wouldn't that be a great story for me? But my story is, uh, you know, and, and I'm fine with it as I actually was very fortunate. I did have help. Um, and I've tried to make the most of all the help that we got. And so Jen's parents decided they wanted a place and they wanted to have a farm. And so we were incredibly lucky. Our 10 stall barn with an apartment on 10 acres turned into a 60 acre farm with 30 stalls and, um, three houses on the property to, you know, their, their house. And then two, two mobiles on the property. And we were just uh, incredibly lucky that we were able to get that done. And, um, that's where we've been now for the last 20 years. Wow. That's awesome. Hey, I mean, I think everyone would take help if they can get some help. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's nothing to be ashamed of if you get a little bit of help. No. And I, and I, and I don't say it because of that. I more say it because I'm, you know, I think you, everybody would take the opportunities that they're given and it's about making the most of the opportunities that you get. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and, not being too proud to say, you know what, I am quite lucky and fortunate. And, um, I did everything I could do to appreciate that and to try to accomplish as much as I could with, with what I've been so lucky to have. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Holy Smith. Well, you know, there's a lot of people to get a lot of, uh, help and squander it, you know? So like, like you said, mm-hmm. you appreciated it. You, you, you've clearly been successful with that help and all that. So, that's awesome, man. I love it. Yeah, it's been, it's so bring been fun. into the into the current business. Obviously, you've been around Kentucky, and you know you're you know you've been there, done that. You've you've done it all. The um, you know, I thought was an interesting story, and I and because I, I listened to your podcast, and you, you know, you you tell a story about how you were like the reserve for the team, and yeah, you got the pink coat, and like that's like a a source. Of yeah, the, actually. Like, it's, it's my motivation every day. So the reality is actually I was picked for the team. I was on the team oh, for okay. the Pan American Games in 2011. 
with a horse called downtown Harrison, who was a very good horse for me. Um, and it's kind of fun cause I bought that horse as a two year old and didn't tell Jen that I'd bought it <laughs> um, <laughs> and brought it home. Um, so we spent a lot of time sort of breaking and producing and training this horse. And when he was eight years old, he was picked to go to the Pan American games. Um, and the night before the horses flew out, we had a vet jog, a final inspection, and they decided that he wasn't sound enough to go. Um, and so I was faced with the really difficult decision of, I mean, they literally said to me, and it's one of those things like everybody's friends, but we also all have a job to do. And so the team came up to me who are my friends. And I have to say at the time it was really hard on me, but I know it was hard on them as well because they're my friends. I've got, um, you know, Sarah Ike there and Mike Huber there, and I can see their eyes are a little bit, you know, they aren't crying, but their eyes are pretty full. And they're saying to me, the vets have a, a problem with the horse. We think that um, there's concerns you may not be able to finish the competition. And we're leaving tomorrow. You can dispute it, and we will all fly to Houston and hear it, have it heard by an arbitrator, um, and you'll lose. Or you can sign this paper giving up your spot and then we're going to take an alternate in your place. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's times when I think, gosh, I should have probably fought it because I think the horse was okay. Um, but the idea is you're supposed to be there for your team and the leadership of the team decided that they wanted to take somebody else. So I said, right, I'll sign the papers and you know, good luck. And I literally had to go back to the barn and unpack my team trunk that they'd given everybody their trunks and take my stuff out and hand it to Lynn mm. Sinansky with Donner um, and give Lynn a hug and tell her good luck and wish my teammates good luck and send them on their way to Guadalajara where they were amazing and won the gold medal. Um, and so that probably was, well, not even pro well, that's a lie. That was my second lowest point in my career um, as far as sort of questioning was I actually going to be good enough to be able to do this? Um, it was, it was not fun. And I do still have sitting up in my closet, the pink coat, cause I gotten it cause I was supposed to wear it that weekend. And it's sitting up in my closet, just taunting me, um, which is fine. You know, like I, at the time had a struggle obviously for, for a few weeks dealing with that, but I use it now a little bit as motivation to keep pushing on and keep trying and, um, you know, I know it's a bit cliche to say, but I enjoy the journey. I enjoy riding my horses every day. And I think that's now with this pandemic actually hit home even a little bit more because I used to say to people that if I couldn't compete, I probably wouldn't ride, that I love competing. Um, but I was actually really happily surprised that when the pandemic hit and I wasn't allowed to compete, all I wanted to do was ride my horses and I actually enjoyed riding them more and they all went better because I wasn't stressed about competing and I had more fun with it than I ever thought I would. Cause I kind of went back to like, Oh wow, this is why 15, 16 year old John rode. This was really, this is what it was all about. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like I said, the coat sits up there and uh, every once in a while I go look at it. I actually, my son heard the story, I remember if it was on our show or where you hear me telling the story to somebody and asked to see the coat. So that was the first time I had pulled it out of the closet in 
what, eight years. Um, and I pulled it out for him and he was like, wow, it's pretty cool. And then I said, great, cool. I'm putting it away. And so it sits up there again. And, you know, who knows if I'll get a chance to wear it at a horse show ever or not. I don't know. But, um, I look at it now, um, as one of those things that actually I kind of occasionally I'll see it when I'm, it sits next to my Halloween costumes, actually. Um, <laughs> so it sits there next to the other, it sits there next to the other costumes. And, you know, occasionally I see it and I'm, I'm able to look at it now with a bit of pride. Like I did actually get named to that team and yeah. Yeah. sometimes stuff happens and things fall apart and you don't get to finish the, the job. But the cool thing about that story, sort of the good ending of that is we got the horse sorted out in 2012. He won up and he won Bromont four star. And that's when I got to do the streaking across the Bromont sign. Yeah. It was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then from that competition, he actually got named to a Nations Cup team. And we went over in the autumn of 2012. And I was on a Nations Cup team where we won the uh, – uh, where we didn't win anything, actually. <laughs> where I got to go and run around and was the highest-placing American. Um, so that was pretty fun to, to get to do that. And I do laugh about that part of it as well, actually, because that was – the last nation's cup team that Mark Phillips coached and David was there as sort of the interim coach. Um, and then David was being very good because Philip was on the team. So he was having Philip help out a little bit with the walk. So I really had Mark Phillips, David O'Connor and Philip Dutton all sort of semi coaching us through that, which was pretty cool. But the other funny thing is the next Nations Cup competition, they started giving away Nations Cup coats for that. So I'm like, I can't oh, win. Oh, <laughs> so anyway, no, but it was kind of cool. That horse went on and he was had a great career. And now he's actually uh, Jen's sort of ride around the farm horse. And she has a great time with him. And he looks great. He's, I guess, 17 years old now. And bombing around the farm is sort of the mascot. Wow. Mm. Well, I, you know, I, I, I hate to bring up like a – a sucky story, but I just thought it was a, I thought it was interesting how you talked about it on your show and you were honest with about it. And, and I think that it's good for people that listen that are, you know, that's obviously at the highest level of a, you know, a disappointment and, um, and it was out of your control, but you know, that's the way the sport is. I mean, everyone who puts it, puts it all out there on the line, you know, runs the risk of this. And, and I think it's important. Yeah, I mean, and you know what, it, it, it is a tough, what it was a tough thing to deal with at the time, but, um, it, it's funny, you know, again, I'm full of cliches tonight, apparently, but it does make you stronger, right? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And, um, like you just, you do realize as you go through horses, it does in a, in a good way, it does harden you, right? It does make you realize, all right, well, like that didn't go to plan, but, life goes on. We get up in the morning, the sun still comes up. You still get to ride horses every day. You know, when I got into this, even when I was 19, I went away and my plan was to learn how to run a business so that maybe someday I could afford to have one good horse that maybe I could take advanced for a little bit. Wow. And if 43 year old John got to go back and talk to 19 year old John and say, Hey man, you're going to live in Florida. You're going to have a string of nice horses with amazing owners. You're going to have most of your stuff sponsored by great companies. You're going to have all these nice horses to ride. You're going to have ridden around Kentucky. I don't know. I think five years on, you know, probably eight, nine trips around it. Cause I've had a couple of horses there a few times. You're going to get to go to Burley. You're going to go to a world cup final. You're going to ride at nation's cups. You're going to be all over the world competing and riding. Um, you're going to 
get to be on podcasts with major league eventing. That's how you know you made it. (laughs) Yeah. Like if I had been able to tell myself that I wouldn't have believed it. So, um, you know, I think we're all competitive people and so you're always trying to strive to do the next thing and be bigger, better, faster, stronger. But I do think for me anyway, it's really important that every once in a while I step back and I take stock of what I've been able to accomplish and appreciate it. Yeah. Well, and I got to be honest, you got like 25 more good years left in the tanks. I mean, I don't think that there's any, uh, eh, why, why, maybe why? 10. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just, we're we're yeah, just yeah, a yeah. little bit older, just a little older than John. I, I would like to think I, I have know, a few I more good years. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel, I feel like I've got a lot of time left to do what I want to do and I'm having a great time doing it. So I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm super excited. I'm in exactly the place I want to be. I've got amazing horses in the barn, tons of good support. And, um, yeah, the sky's the limit. So I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not near the end by any stretch. No way. No way. And I think good karma comes back. You're mm-hmm. a good guy and doing good things and do, doing all the right things. And I think there there's that definitely comes back on itself. So that brings us to like the current business. So tell <clears> us <throat> about what you have there at the farm. Like what, what you guys do there? We heard about the water. So you have a cross country, uh, tell us about yeah, what and a shooting have. gallery. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So we're really lucky. Like I said, we've got a 60 acre farm here. Um, we've got a full cross country schooling facility. We have 30 stalls, a uh, covered arena. Um, and so we run our business hauling eventing out of the farm and we do training. Lots of lessons is sort of our, our, our big thing. We do, um, sail horses, I do travel around for clinics quite a lot. And, um, I mean, it's a, like everybody in this business, it's a full-time deal, right? We start at six 30 in the morning and we're done in the evenings by about five. Um, and yeah, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of riding, a lot of teaching. I try to get up in the morning. I'm usually on my first horse around eight. Um, and then I start teaching in the afternoons and, um, it's a, it's a full thing. It used to be a bit seasonal down here. And, um, I'm happy to say that now it's not, it is year round. And I sort of joke because it used to be like, we'd work hard in the winters to be able to be a little bit more relaxed in the summers. And now we work hard in the summers to be able to be absolutely insane, full throttle. Don't have enough time to get it done in the winters. It's just slammed, which is great. That's awesome. Yeah. Man, Karen, we got to move to Ocala. Come on. You really need to get down here, especially, I tell you what, we're like literally three minutes from the New World Equestrian Center, yes. and that place is going to be incredible. I think I'm going to get so, like a little condo in there. I wonder if I can get like a little like condo. At the, that I think you can. I think you can, for sure. You need to come down. That'd be sweet. Check it out. Got to get, get a couple sponsors. Got to get a get down here so that you can come in and be on the John and Rick show. And sit on the couch. That's there see, we that's go. that's how you know you made it. Yes. Get on the couch. <laughs> I want to get there. I love the show. I love seeing what you guys have done. Talking about that, the John and Rick show. Um, tell us a little bit about the podcast. We had, like we said, we had Rick on last week, and and he talked about it a little bit. But um, can you tell us, like, how, how did that? He basically said it was kind of like you, uh, you know, you kind of brought him into it. So can you tell us about how you got involved? And in? your show is very much Facebook uh, video as well. So. Um, yeah. So we, so we started out, um, actually on like sort of as a guest host on another 
equine show. And then when that came to an end, sort of, we decided, well, that was kind of fun. Let's go do our own thing. So we got talking with our friend, Joel Wiesner, who does EQTV, and he agreed to come in and be a partner with us. And honestly, at the time I was envisioning doing a podcast and having it videoed to put it on Facebook and YouTube. Um, but as Joel agreed to get involved, he's really good at producing stuff. And so he said, well, I've never done a TV show. I don't really know what I'm doing, but if you guys are willing to sort of work with me, we'll figure this out. And I thought, okay, well, that, that'll be all right. We'll see what we can do. Sure. So we put this thing together. Joel came in and I walked into actually our sponsor's waiting room, which was Horse Trailer Pros, which does all of our trailer repairs for everybody in Ocala and Florida, really. Um, went into their front office where we had set up the studio for the night. And I looked at this equipment Joel had, and I was like, well, that looks like he kind of knows what he's doing. This is pretty good <laughs> stuff. So maybe this will work. And we did our show. And then um, I watched it on Facebook on our John and Rick show page. And I was blown away. I thought this guy, like he makes us look good. So, <laughs> you know, Joel just keeps getting better and better. We, then Horse Trailer Pros had a separate building that they could put us in that we have our own studio now. Um, and it's just kind of blown up from there. We're really lucky. Um, and, it, you know, like I said, it went from where we sort of envisioned a podcast with a video to now being a TV show that then we podcast. Right. Um, which, you know, as I'm sure you guys know with your podcast, there's a lot of work that goes into all this stuff. And, um, you know, I think the, the podcast side of it is it's so nice because it's clean and you can put it out there and um, compared like with the amount of work that Joel does with it. I know we could never do the TV show without having him involved. There's just way too much involved on that side of it. Um, so we envisioned this podcast with, you know, a couple little cameras and it turned into this amazing show. Thanks to Joel and EQTV. Yeah, it's awesome. And, it. and, and quite honestly, thanks to horse trailer pros, because if we didn't have them as our title sponsor, we wouldn't be able to afford to do it. There's no way. Right yeah. now I've been watching since the beginning. And then I, <clears throat> I listen a lot too. I was like, I was saying to Rick, I, I'm, I don't always have a lot of time to look and watch something. Well, so I think that's fair. I think that's a big reason why we wanted to make sure it was a podcast as well, quite honestly, because I listen to you guys while I'm, doing my dressage. I'll be flatting around and I listen to a lot of music, but I also listen to podcasts. And so I'll just turn it on. Well, th that was kind of one of the thoughts we have with it is like, great, we want this TV show. We want it to be real slick and look real professional and nice, but we also have to know our audience and our audience are people like us who are riding and working and doing their thing and don't necessarily have an hour to set aside to, to watch us. So right. if they can listen to us as well, I think that's really important. Yeah. No, I love it. I love what you guys are doing. You guys always have multiple guests on. We kind of got it easy. I mean, we do it once a week, but we do it easy. We get one guest. That's it. Deep. Dive. Well, you know, I have to say we sort of go back and forth on that. And I'd be interested in some feedback from you guys on it because I sometimes feel like we try to have a couple guests on. And then sometimes I get done and I'm like, I don't, we didn't ask about half the stuff that we should have talked about. Um, so there are times when I think we should probably just have one because then you get your guests to say stupid things like I've been doing. <laughs> That's always the goal. Yeah. That's always the goal. Is yeah. How can we embarrass them? them up? 
That's funny. Uh, exactly. So, but and but and and like we, it is September is International Podcast Month. So we like to, we're we're trying to again, we we were strategically waiting to have you guys on until September because we wanted to celebrate another podcast. And right and, now, we appreciate that. And so it's definitely the month, and September thirtieth is International the actual podcast day. day. Mm-hmm. But you know, we hope that everyone uh, who who listens to the podcast and everything gets out there, remembers to subscribe and leave reviews and all that stuff. And then obviously with your show, you're leaving. Uh, watching it on Facebook and all that, but still go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Spotify because that really helps the podcasting yep. um, grow and get seen on more of the, um, you know, the the the, the, the home pages and gets suggested to people and stuff. So we want to yep. we want to keep these eventing. I consider your podcast an eventing podcast. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, but we want to keep these eventing podcasts and, and horse podcasts coming, growing, and getting to the forefront. So. Um, I just like to always remind people of that. So, hey, real quick on the um, not real quick, but be, before we get off the topic of things that you do, you're obviously uh, you made huge headlines in the past year with all the frangible stuff, and and can you tell us a little bit about um, you know your work with the USEA on on the the safety committees and and I think that's the correct name. I'm not quite sure, but you know, tell yep. us about that and and and, and the frangible. Yeah, thing. so. You know, not to be like a downer. I feel like all I'm doing is talking about bad things tonight. But we'll pump I said we'll with – all right, perfect. We'll all right. So I said that the, the this last story I told about the Pan American Games was you know, probably the second worst day of my life professionally. Um, and then the, the worst day was in 2008 at Red Hills Horse Trials. I had a horse named Direct Merger that I took out on cross country, and he had a pulmonary embolism on course, mm. and he died. Um, and that was a horrible day because my good friend, Darren Chacha had a bad accident that day and hit his head and went into a coma. Um, uh, Missy Miller had another horse, um, another friend of mine, um, her horse, Rowdy boy died on course that day. And it was just, wow. um, you know, I think everybody in the sport eventing worldwide would actually pick that competition on that day as like the worst single day for eventing as a sport. Um, and so when that happened, I t- sort of took stock of what I was doing and thought, you know, is this really a sport that I want to be involved with or not? And so I thought a lot about it for a quite a long time and decided that it was something I wanted to do, that I loved the sport and that although that day was obviously pretty terrible, that the gains of eventing and the horsemanship that's involved the amount of time that we take to look after horses and the camaraderie that we all have with each other. And, you know, just the simple things that we all talk about a lot, but I think we do sometimes take for granted of how when you come back from cross country, you're quite willing to give the information to your competitors so that they can go cleaner, faster, or safer than you did. Um, you know, stuff like that just made me realize that this is a sport I want to stay involved with, but if I was going to, I needed to do something to get involved and to make it safer and better, not just for me and my horses, but for everybody. Um, and that sounds like, gosh, isn't that great of John to help out the sport, but it's completely selfish. It was because that's what I needed to do so that I could keep going. It was a hundred percent for me. Um, so I've gotten involved and fortunately the people who are, you know, better horsemen and smarter and been in committees far longer than I had ever been said, yeah, we'd like to have you involved in some things. So let me get on some committees. And 
I was lucky enough to get on the board eventually and I um, got involved. And so the one thing about getting involved in the governance of the sport is once you're in, if you do the work and you speak up in the meetings and you have even halfway intelligent things to say to add to the conversation, then they try to put you on every single committee that there is. So I think last year I went and I listed the committees that I was involved in and I forgot a few. And I think I was at like 11. Wow. So I had for sure. Yeah. So I've had to learn to say no, but I'm not terribly good at it. Um, and, and the reality is I do really enjoy doing it. I like, I like, having an influence and feeling like, you know, you gain a little bit of respect from people because you're trying your best to, to help. Um, so I'm able now I'm the national safety officer to the FEI. I share the U S eventings, um, cross country safety committee. Um, and I'm also the co-chair of the eventing sport committee. I am the chairman of the Athletes Advisory Council for the USEF, and I'm also on the International Disciplines Council. Those are sort of the big ones, and then a bunch of other stuff too. Yeah. Um, but those are kind of the big ones. And so with that, obviously, I feel like I have a bit of a voice and I can speak up and say some things. So when I was sitting at Rocking Horse this February, and we had the fall on cross country at the table um, with with Catherine Morell. I was sitting in my truck and I thought, I just like, it, it was another one of those days, like back in 2008, it kind of hit me. I was like, I just, I don't know what else we can do. I was almost a bit discouraged because I thought I've spent so much time trying to make things better and this stuff still happens. And the reality is it's always going to be a risk because we're in a high risk sport and what we're trying to do is minimize the risk. But when it happens near you or at a competition you're at, I think it always hits you a little bit closer to home. And we'd had a few accidents, um, one in a warm up and one with people schooling at home that year that, you know, within the previous six months that sort of we had been dealing with. And, and then this one with cat hit and I thought I got to do something. And so I pulled out my phone and I made a video and said, we've got, frangible tables. We have all this technology and we're not using it because, you know, maybe it's not perfect. Um, but it's better than not having it. So let's do something about it. And I just picked off the top of my head. I'll be honest with you. I picked off $500,000 as a goal that seemed pretty big, but not so daunting that people would be like, well, well there's no way we're going to ever get that. Um, so I just said, let's, let's raise $500,000. That should be enough money to make a significant impact on the safety of our sport and improve things. And I hit send and I put it on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and whatever else I had at the time and just sent it out there. And after I sent it, I felt actually a little bit worse. Cause I was like, I didn't clear that with anybody. I didn't, <laughs> didn't talk to anybody at the USA with my friend, Rob Burke, or I didn't talk to anybody at USCF or anyone. I just sent it out and I had no idea what to do. If people started sending money or asking me where to put money, I didn't know what to do. But fortunately, um, Andy Bowles, who is a good friend of mine and involved in the sport had an idea and he put together a GoFundMe page. And fortunately, Rob Burke, who has become a very good friend of mine over the years, said, thank you. We're going to do this. 
we don't really have the staff to do it and we're going to have to figure this out, but we're going to do it as well through the USEA foundation and we're going to make this work. And so everybody sort of jumped on board and in reality, they didn't have to, they could have said, that's great, John, good luck raising the money. We would love to have it. And when you get it, send it our way and we'll, you know, help you disperse it to people. But they didn't, they all jumped in and said, we're going to make this happen, which you know, like I said earlier, is one of the reasons I've sort of gotten involved and stayed involved in eventing is because that's the kind of people that are in the sport. Um, and so we've raised a lot of money, um, especially given the pandemic going on and the financial problems that have happened with that. The fact that we are now $66,000 shy of our $500,000 goal is incredible. incredible. Wow. Um, Part of the reason for that is that we were really lucky that the Manton Foundation came on board and has agreed to do matching funds. Um, so we've gotten really close and you know we've got $66,000 to go to finish up to get that $500,000 goal anyway. And then I'll probably put another video out at some point saying something else stupid and <laughs> trying to raise more money. But I want to get that $500,000. I think that, you know, like I said, is going to go a long way towards making making some significant improvements in the sport, but also I think it goes a long way towards sort of showing that everybody here cares about the sport and about the people in the sport and that we want to make it as safe as we can for everybody. And so um, I guess actually the big question for you guys and for everybody listening is when we got stuck early on in the fundraising, I agreed to get a tattoo <laughs> and I, got the money raised wherever we needed to get to at that point to sort of kickstart things again and get it rolling and got the tattoo. But now we're sort of stuck at this needing this last $66,000. So I need another stupid idea to raise the rest of the money. Hmm. I know you asked that question before. I know no swimming, no, no yeah. hopping in the deep end, no swimming with sharks. Yeah, I'm a little scared of sharks, but like I might be willing to do something with sharks if it's going to get the money. He's already streaked, so. He's already streaked. Yeah, I just, nobody wants to see We already know that. nothing to see there, folks. No, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and now with Safe Sport, you, you know, I probably yeah, yeah, right. you definitely can't get away with that. No fun. I think, actually, I said that to somebody recently. I said, so would I get in trouble for streaking if I did that again? And they said, what well, depends if it made anybody uncomfortable? And I said, <laughs> right. So there'll be no streaking because that would definitely make me work. <laughs> You're bound yeah, to make not happening. <laughs> but yeah. So anyway, we got to raise that last sixty-six grand. So if anybody out there has a stupid idea of something that Max Corcoran can do to raise the money, yeah. let me know. <laughs> Come on. There we go. That's there it. Go. So we need everyone, all hands on deck. Mm -hmm. Got to number one, donate. Number two, two. come up with another right. little something. Another yeah, we got to have some motivation because that definitely got things rolling last time. Yeah, that's awesome. Man, well, keep up the great work with that. That's fantastic. Yeah, Obviously, we're all about, you know, we're all about sustaining the sport and making the sport better and growing. And you can't have that if, you know, without doing everything we can to mitigate as much of the risk as possible. Yeah, I mean, I think that's right. I think to, to me, the point at the time was not, gosh, we had this accident and isn't this horrible. It was we had this accident and actually there's some technology available that we could be using to have maybe lessened the chance of it ending the way it ended. Maybe not, maybe it wouldn't have. Um, but if it's out there, it's, I think it's something that we should be trying to use. And, um, I never want to hear anybody say like, well, you know, we can't afford that. 
we live in one of the greatest countries in the world, in my opinion. Um, in my opinion, the greatest country in the world, but arguably one of the greatest countries in the world. And I don't think money should be a reason that we can't put out the safety devices that are available. And it's fair enough for a small event in the middle of the country to say we just can't afford it. But as a community and as a sport, I think we can afford it. Yeah. And so we have to do everything we can to, awesome. to get it out there. Absolutely. John, you're doing great things, buddy. Did a great job with well, this. That's, that, that, that is a legacy. I, I, you know, I think about legacy a lot, whether myself or and, and other people. And I think, you know, that's a legacy that no matter what happens, you know what I mean? Like that is a legacy that um, not many people can say that they're, they've done something big like that. So I think that's fantastic. And you absolutely deserve a pat on the back for, for putting yourself out there like that and leading the way and, and really taking a stand. And, and uh, I know a lot of people really well, appreciate I, it. I, I appreciate that. You know, that, that means a lot. And um, you know, it's, it's funny cause it's a pretty small sport. And so on one hand, you certainly can sit back and think, wow, like, that's great. I'm trying to make a difference. And then you sort of step away and think like, I don't know, there's people who are doing a lot better things for the world than probably putting out tables that fall down, but you do what you can do for the people that you're that you spend time with and the stuff that you have passion for. And this happens to be what I love to do. Yeah. Right. Well, you know what? It might be a small sport, but you know what? There's going to be a time at some point that one of those tables is going to collapse and it's going to save someone's and it's life. Going to save someone's life. So if that's just once, Right. No, I agree. I agree. You know, cats, that's sort of, I said, I said that to somebody, I said, you know, I didn't know cat personally, so I don't know what kind of a person she was other than what people have told me since then. But I do know that her life was worth at least $500,000 and I'm willing to bet it was worth, you know, a hundred times that. Um, so you can't put a price on somebody's life. And I think that's, you know, as corny as that sound, that's a, that's a big, part of that is everybody's life is, is priceless. And, um, we just, yeah, anyway, we just got to do what we can. Right. Absolutely. 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 And I'm just saying, don't minimize it. Don't minimize your contribution there and, and what you did. And, and there's always, well, it's been, I mean, to, to be fair, all I did was make a stupid video and put it out there and sort of push people along. It's actually been the entire sport and a bunch of people behind the scenes that don't get the credit. Um, I've just kind of been the face on it. Um, but it's been, there's been huge donations of, you know, this matching found matching donation of realistically $250,000, right. Um, from the Manton foundation, but there's been $10 donations as well from people who put it out there and said, this is what I can afford. And, um, I think in talking to family members who have lost people in the sport, it's, sometimes those $10 donations that mean more to them because they know that's from people who are, you know, really doing what they can do the best they can do to give back to the sport. And they want to make sure people know, like we're, we're here for you. And so, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been the whole sport has put, put into this. And it's not, it's not me by any stretch. It's been everybody. It's been you guys and everybody who's donated. Great, man. You're the man. Well, that's wonderful. Well said. Karen, well said. Karen yeah. take us out of this downer point. Bring it up to some fun stuff. <laughs> right. Come on, this is supposed to be fun. Time ho- for fun. <laughs> we got a hockey game we got to get John okay. to, so we got right. to move this along. Move along. <laughs> All right, so think lightning. We've got quick fire questions Quick right fire now. questions. Lightning round. All right. <laughs> All right. Here we go. Now, 
The last time John uh, Rick won, so Rick, Rick Rick did win. Rick got an eight. Oh, plus. Yeah. Yeah. Rick, Rick, I didn't know this was coming. Oh, I should have studied. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't give me any information. Listen, the friends, the the, the body line ends when it comes to competition. So he probably knew. Yeah, you were I'm gonna for it. Rick. I'm gonna crush you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, first question: uh, Who was your favorite rider growing up? Eventing rider or just rider rider? Uh, period. Over, period. How? Okay. Okay. So first of all, how do you score this? Because this is an opinion based. Well, it's, compl- it's all subjective. It's all <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> I'm gonna have to think my favorite rider growing up. So so part of the problem with this is that <laughs> I'm just gonna qualify this. I know these are quick fire, but I just want to put this out there. I grew up in Wisconsin. I didn't even know what like real eventing was until I moved out to Canada because I grew up in like no man's land. So I guess if I had to pick up my favorite rider growing up, it probably, well, not even probably would have been Bruce Davidson. Of course. Yes. For sure. See, I mean, right he was, there. He so won right there. Cause he was mine. Yeah. <laughs> All, right. All, right, All right. I'm up one, nothing. Oh. What's next? I'll be faster. I'll be faster. All right. Um, do you have any good luck or superstitions before you go out cross country? Yeah. So I, uh, I do, I do. One is, I have to always have, um, my saddle has to be reset. So it makes my grooms crazy, but when they tack my horse up for me, that's fine. They tack them up and everything's perfect, but I have to undo my girth and reset my saddle every time for luck. Um, that would probably be my biggest one. Um, and then I do, when I walk the cross country course, I have to make sure I always go through the finish line at least once on my walk. I can't skip that. That's both are very good. Very he's good. One, he's, and he's, and he's, actually one other one, I can't, when we're walking the course, sorry, when we're walking the courses, me and my group, you're never allowed to split around a jump. Oh. When you're walking, you have to all walk the same side of the jump. Oh. See, wow. you know, I got, okay, a that's bit, it. I got a little OCD and things like that. I hear <laughs> they click and I think that's it. Another. Yeah, and then you stick with them. That's why I have, I have a bunch of them. Those are the jacked up thing in my head. All right. Who's a better podcast host, you or Rick? Ooh. Oh, for sure. It's me. <laughs> Rick said no, himself. You know what? You know what? Rick actually is probably better because Rick has an incredible memory. That guy can um, like just spit out stats and finishing and rankings and results like nobody I've ever really? seen. All I do is say stupid things and try to be somewhat entertaining. But Rick like he can tell you who won a competition three years ago at like Seneca Valley horse trials. He's awesome. My brain doesn't wow. work that way at no. all. I got a lot of respect for people. like Yeah, that. me neither. Sounds no. like it's like a rain man of like eventing stats. That's yeah. Pretty awesome. That's right. <laughs> all right. If a movie was made about your life, who would you want to play you? I think for me, so I'd like to say I want Brad Pitt. Cause <laughs> I would go. like to look like Brad Pitt, but I was told that, have you guys ever watched Burn Notice? No. no. Never seen Burn Notice. Okay. What's the guy from Burn Notice, Caden? Uh, my son's standing yeah. over here. The main character. Uh, the main character? Oh, he's good. But I don't know who he's done. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> the main character from Burn Notice, apparently I've been told that I look like him, so I guess maybe that would be him. It's a good show. Um, look like him I'll see if I can pull it up here while you guys I'm, ask I'm, me I'm bringing it up. Maybe. I'm bringing it up here. Okay. Okay. I can see it. I'm guessing that's. I'm guessing that's him. I'm guessing that's him. Is that? Oh, uh, uh, it's kind of. Uh, it's hard to that's see. That's got to be him. Yeah. Uh, so I've been told that burn notice the guy. I'm, yeah, that's. 
That's apparently who would play me. John's way more handsome, Karen, right? I mean, come yeah. on. Ah, oh, good don't, job, don't guys. Sell yourself short, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd go Brad Pitt. We're going with the original with the first answer. Jeffrey Donovan is the name of the actor. That's it. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Donovan. Donovan. There we go. Jeffrey right. Donovan yeah. it is. That would that'd be who played me. He's on notice. All right. Last question. If you could ride any horse, past, present, or fiction, who would it be? Um any horse, past, present, or fiction. Um, okay, that's actually an easy one. So I'm going to take my horses out of it because that's, I think, kind of a lame cop-out, right? Because obviously you always love your horses the most. But there was a horse when I first moved out east that I always just drooled over and thought was amazing. It was ridden by Gail Molander, and its name was Sir Nicholas. Mm-hmm. And I loved that horse. He was just the stamp of an event horse to me. He was, I think he was an Irish bred horse, and just he moved beautifully he jumped great and he was brave as could be cross country so sir nicholas would be sort of my all-time favorite event horse i like that name too yeah i did too that's awesome karen i think he beat him i think you think he beat him i think he beat him Uh, oh yeah rick i got you buddy (laughs) a plus plus again i feel like if you talk to rick you'd probably tell him he won but i'm gonna take The true competition can be who gets more downloads. We'll have to definitely, we'll have to figure right, that out. Right, 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 right. We got to do that. We'll <laughs> have to figure that out. Uh, so we'll move this along because we know we have a hockey game. Yes, here. yes. So, John, moving along, do you have any advice for a young rider trying to make it in this sport? Um. Yeah. So I think the one thing that's missing for young people getting into this sport is that they can sort of get into it almost a little bit too easily, if that makes any sense. Um, like, like I said earlier, I had a lot of opportunities in this sport, but the one thing I did that was demanded of me is I went away and I worked and I learned this as a trade. And I think that's super important for young people who are aspiring to do this sport as, as a job, um, as a career is you need to go and you need to work for somebody who knows what they're doing and put yourself in that situation where, you do have to get up at 6.30 every morning or 6.15 to be feeding at 6.30 and sort of suffer through it a bit because it's not just about paying your dues and like, you know, slogging it out, but it really sort of tells you, is this something you want to do? Um, it is an amazing life. It's an amazing sport, but it's not for everybody. And I think a lot of people think when they get involved with this as a career that like if they decide they don't want to do it somehow they've failed but i think we've had pro- we've had a lot of working students and i would say the majority of them have not continued on to make a profession out of this and that's fine um, i think that's actually a good thing because you sort of start to discover what do you want to do with your life what do you not want to do with your life and i think um if i if my son said to me i want to get involved in horses That'd be the, that'd be the one thing I would demand of him would be, that's great. You can do it, but you're going away and you're working for somebody else and not just to get riding lessons, but to learn the business side of it, the farm management side of it, um, the horsemanship side of it and the lifestyle side of it to decide, is this really something you want to do? When I started my, my career, I didn't spend a Christmas with my family, um, my parents and my brother and sister for probably, I mean, realistically five, six years. Um, I didn't see them over the holidays and I probably only saw them, you know, four or five days a year because I was building my career 
to building my business. And you just, that's the way it went. And then even after that, it was sort of sporadic. Um, and I don't know that as a young professional coming in the sport that people understand what that really means until they've lived it a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent advice. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Very advice. good. And you do take, you said you would take on work and students. So you never know if people might. Hit yeah, you. we, we do. We don't, we don't do as many of them as we used to, because quite honestly, not to sound like an old curmudgeon, but I find that um, the kids nowadays for the most part, don't appreciate that opportunity as much as, as I did. And I know that sounds like I used to walk uphill both ways in the snow up to my knees, but it's, I, I think it's true. So we do take working students, but it has to be a pretty special person that we're willing to take on because it is, it is a tough job and it isn't for the, the weak of heart. It has to be for somebody who's honestly, probably a little bit mentally ill to want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. So, Hey, so moving things along, um, sponsors, we always like to highlight any sponsors that you have. So sponsors for you, the business and, and for the show, uh, yeah. Yeah. So we're really lucky. Um, we do have some great companies. So, um, I've got Forcier Saddlery does all of our saddles and bridles and everything. And that's a great company, um, that we're involved with probably my oldest sponsor that we've had from like back in Wisconsin days would be Feebing's leather care because they're actually based out of Milwaukee. Hmm. Um, and so, I mean, they've been amazing with me from the very start. Um, we've got, equine comfort products, which do all of our saddle pads. And, um, you know, they're a, a super company and they're based out of Colorado, I believe. Um, and so they're super, super people. Um, UVEX helmets, um, they do helmets and sunglasses and gloves. They're, um, actually a new company to me this year. Um, and they've been great. They do lots of promotional stuff and try to help out with the fundraising for the frangible fences and just super people to deal with. Um, I'm also with Summit uh, Joint Care, um, so they sponsor me as well, um, and then Heritage Gloves. So I've got those great companies with all the product stuff, um, and then obviously the show, like I said before, we've got our main title sponsor um, there, which is Horse Trailer Pros, and they have been absolutely incredible. Matt there, um, you know, I've had my trailers worked on and serviced through Matt for years. And, um, it's always nice. And I can say this about all of my sponsors, but it's always nice when you have a company like horse trailer pros, who is a company that I've trusted and worked with for years that then comes on and sponsors something like the John and Rick show that you can truly say to people, yeah, this is a great company and I can stand behind them and the work that they do because, I've used them long before they ever sponsored me on anything. So I'm not just sort of selling my soul to, to you know, right, sure. to try to convince you to do stuff. They really are an amazing company and, um, you know, they're turnkey, which is really nice. Like they will come in, pick up the trailer and do the work and bring it back if you want to, um, have it done that way. Um, they're just a, a great company to deal with. So, um, we're lucky to have horse trailer bros for sure. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. I love it. They do a great job, and I know from the very beginning. I mean, they're they definitely have always had the nice studio for you and, and everything. It looked like before you're like we were behind like the counter, like maybe like their service counter where people walked up and did their stuff, and now you got the nice right. Couches. Yep, that was right. They gave us the service counter because we were short on time and we needed to get the show done. And I was like, Matt, I don't know what to do. Like we're ready to go, but we don't have a space. And he said, Don't worry, we close the doors at five. 
you can have the counter. We'll set it up however you want. We got there and he like, he was fabricating, um, like risers for us to set our stools up on so that we were at the right height the night of the show trying to help us get it ready. He was, I mean, he's just, he's awesome that way. He loves doing that stuff. That's awesome. Well, it's good to have good people. It's good to know who to, it's good to know when we're in Ocala with the trailer, who to see. Cause um, (laughs) yeah, that's right. (laughs) So, Hey, and last question, how do people follow along websites, social media? How do people follow you, your hunting, eventing and, and the show? Yeah. So, um, we're on all the social media platforms. So we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, I guess that's actually not all of them, but those are the ones that we're on. So I'm on there as myself as Jonathan Holling. Um, Holling Eventing is on there as well. And then obviously the John and Rick show is on there as well. Awesome. 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 So that's the way to get us is on social media. And um, you can message us through all those platforms. And the show comes out every other Friday on Facebook, right? Uh, Thursday, every other Thursday on Thursday. Yeah. Did Rick maybe mistold you? Was he wrong? Did I win this one too? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. So we come out. Rick was wrong. Rick was wrong. wrong. No, we come out every, every other week we have a show. So it's twice, basically twice a month. Although, um, we did discover that that means next month. I think we're technically have three shows in October the way the, the, weeks lead yeah. in there so we'll we'll see how that works out but uh, basically it's every two weeks very cool awesome well karen this is fantastic yeah, this right? was great awesome. karen we we knew you guys were going to hit it out of the park john you you knocked it out of the park but now we just now that's left is for the listeners to decide yeah which episode they like yeah. better <laughs> remember guys i'm number one download this one <laughs> yes, <laughs> <be> Rick winning. <laughs> i'll never hear the end of it <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us it was a pleasure Hey, thanks very much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Been a good time. Taylor Harris Insurance Services. There for all equestrians, amateur and the professional. For all types and all breeds. No matter what discipline or level, Taylor Harris is committed to excellence in serving you and protecting the horses you love. Taylor Harris Insurance Services. Your worldwide equine insurance specialists. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google, or your favorite podcast app. Cheers!